What's up, Slick Talkers? I want to promote a quick little thing that we're doing at Good Morning Hospitality called Good Morning Retreats. This is our first ever retreat, and we are hosting a hospitality training retreat at the Horst Schultz Hospitality Training School in Auburn, Alabama. Now, this is going to be July 8th through the 10th, and it's for operators only. So if you're a property manager and you want to actually dive into the inner workings of providing hospitality and not just the operations of your business, then this is what you need to do and sign up for. So go to goodmorningretreats.com in order to get into an intimate setting with other operators just like you. If you go to the website, you'll see the published agenda and other things around the whole retreat. We're excited to host you. And if you're going to the retreat already and you've already confirmed your spot, we can't wait to show you what we have up our sleeves for this event. Now, let's move on to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. And like always, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. I find that independent hotels are hard to talk about as a monolith because you could have anything from that, you know, mom and pop economy hotel outside of a national park up to a luxury independent resort. Um, So if we break it down into collapsed classes, essentially, so economy, mid-scale, upper mid-scale, upscale, upper upscale and luxury. If we break it down there, we've seen independence in terms of RevPAR typically outperform just because of the ADR premium compared to their branded counterparts. Um, And that's what we've seen kind of across the board since the pandemic and since we've started to see a little bit of recovery. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode. I'm super excited to have STR on the show. If you could do me a quick favor though, before you continue listening, if you could just hit the survey audience button or the link in the show notes uh, for the uh, audience survey that I built really quickly, just want your guys' feedback on the show, what I can do better on, what you guys are liking, and just for some upcoming changes on the show. So thank you guys so much for taking that time to do that. Now back to this amazing episode featuring Hannah Smith from STR. He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. All right, everybody, welcome back to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and today I have a special guest from STR. Hannah, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Living the dream. You know, that uh, COVID life that we're living, virtual meetings every day. Well, I'm excited for this episode. Um, We've been working on it for about, what, a couple weeks now? And so just excited that you're here and we're finally doing this. Um, So just to start off the show, I want to just jump right into kind of your background, who you are, and kind of what got you into this journey of being, you know, at STR and doing what you do. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks again for having me. Looking forward to this. So my background, I grew up in a small town. Uh, My parents own and operate a veterinary hospital. My dad's a veterinarian and my mom runs the business side of things. Mm. So always grew up around that, around the business. And although the interest in the medical side of things never stuck with me, the interest in the business side of things definitely did. And although it's a different kind of service industry, certainly at its core, it's still about 
taking care of people, taking care of their needs and what they care about. And so I was really drawn to both business and in particular service industries. So then in school, I was trying to find ways to supplement my education in high school, get more exposure to business classes, because that's not really something that a lot of high schools offer. Um, so I found the Cornell Hotel School's summer program, and I did that in, in high school. And that's when I really fell in love with hospitality specifically within the broad service business uh, category. So really fell in love with that, started working as a waitress in hotels and kind of thought my path was going to be F&B operations. I just loved that side of the business, thought that's where I wanted to be. So I focused my internships towards that. My first internship was a pretty intense, immersive F&B experience. And as much as I absolutely loved it and I still have a, a fondness for that, that adrenaline rush that you really can't get anywhere else after a really busy or intense dinner service. There's nothing like that. Um, but I kind of realized after that, after that summer, that it wasn't something that was going to sustain me long term or was going to challenge me in the ways that I wanted to be challenged. So I kind of went back to the drawing board, started to think about what kinds of things I've always enjoyed, what kinds of things I'm good at. And all signs kind of pointed towards data analytics. You know, I've always loved logic puzzles, always loved finding those connections in the data, finding the story in there. And so that just kind of pointed me to data analytics. And I joined on with STR straight out of school. I've been with them for three and a half years now on their consulting and analytics team. That's awesome. So what's your, what's your full title at STR right now? It is senior consultant with consulting and analytics at STR. Okay, and is that that's exactly what you went to school for? That's what you got your your bachelor's on. So I went to the Cornell Hotel School for my bachelor's as well, and um, got the just broad hotel management degree there. Okay, um, but started to focus in towards those data analytics courses towards the end of my school career. That's awesome. So. I guess this is kind of like a random question. What's been like the most exciting, thrilling part about the data that you've seen through your last like three and a half years? Just kind of random off the cuff. Yeah, I mean, the first kind of day that you're at STR, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. You know, STR, we're the leading provider of hotel benchmarking data, analytics, market insights. So just having access to that database and realizing, you know, you can look at anything. Um, and I remember early on, um, this was in 2017, one of the first things I looked at was, uh, it was the impact of the eclipse, the solar eclipse. Mm, yeah. And, you know, we have to pop that data into Tableau, uh, pulled up a map, and you could very clearly see the band of exactly where the eclipse was. Wow. And I was just amazed of, you know, we have such a comprehensive sample in the US that you can so clearly see an impact like that. And that just blew my mind of how specific you can get with the kinds of analyses and really made me excited for what was to come. Yeah, so it's like you guys literally have the bird's eye view, so to say, for the industry, which is really cool. It's like, 
yeah, that's how I, that's the best way I could think of it is a, like being an eagle or a hawk or whatever, and just kind of seeing all from up very, very high. It's really cool. Um, well, speaking of like seeing that kind of trends and stuff, um, you know, with the crazy 2020 that we've had, um, not expectedly, uh, you know, I think we all started 2020 with a very positive out, uh, outlook and, and uh, idea of what the year was going to look like. Uh, but we've had some crazy events, you know, obviously COVID when it hit us back in March and April. And then, of course, now our election and state shutdowns and all these certain things that have been going on. Um, what have been some of the obvious trends in the travel and hospitality sector? Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting to think back to the beginning of 2020, um, you know, with those kind of event analyses, there were all these things we were looking forward to, especially at being an election year, you know, what's the RNC and DNC going to look like in terms of hotel impact, like there were a lot of exciting things to look forward to and and that quickly, quickly changed in March. (laughs) Um, But yeah, in terms of obvious trends, I think the big ones that everyone's talking about is the types of demand that we're just not seeing, you know, international demand, just not going to see that for the near future group demand. You know, we're starting to see a very little bit of that come back, but certainly not to the scale of what we've seen previously. You know, the, the group that's coming back isn't a conference or a convention. It's, a small wedding that probably got downsized from 300 people to 30 people. Um, So it's, it's definitely of a different scale and then transient business um, as well, just has really disappeared. No one wants to put their people on the road right now, put their people at risk and everyone's just gotten very comfortable working remotely. So it's not necessarily a necessity to send people on the road right now if they don't need to be. So the only real demand we're seeing is leisure demand, pretty much anywhere where you're seeing relatively positive demand. And by that, you know, in 2020 terms, that means maybe it's only down 15 or 10%. We're not talking about positive growth. Um, It's all going to be leisure demand for the most part. Yeah. And I was going to say, we're probably seeing a pretty... um pretty big shift, I think, significantly when it comes to booking windows. Um, You know, a lot of people are planning out 30 plus days in advance. Now it's like 30 minutes in advance. We're like, "Eh, I'm going to go to Seattle today and stay the night and do this or go out of town versus, uh, which I'm pretty sure we're seeing a lot for the common trend of drive to destinations. If I'm maybe correct. Yeah. I mean, we don't, have a comprehensive sample as far as forward-looking booking data. That's something that we're actually working on building right now in the U.S. Um, Mm. So we're hoping to have further insights into that data, but that certainly tracks with what we've been hearing from people is that you just can't plan a month in advance because, you know, the city you want to go to in a month could be shut down. You just never know. That's very true. Well, we, this is like something we've covered on the show, you know, drive to destinations and the trends of how people are booking and what they're looking for. Um, obviously the big shift in hotel, um, you know, supply versus vacation rental supply and like what segments are growing there, but maybe do you guys have some insight on some trends that aren't as obvious? Um, maybe that aren't being covered and talked about that, um, you know, can be something for hotel 
hoteliers or hotel owners in uh, their short-term recovery of their, their either market or just in the industry as a whole? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are some positive signs. We're not saying it's all negative. You just need yeah. to know where to look. Um, so luxury hotels, we've seen um, some positive signs in terms of their ADR, uh, particularly in luxury resorts, which I think makes sense if you're thinking about who that customer is. They're mm -hmm. probably still going to be willing to spend as much as they were previously, or maybe even a little more, if it means it's going to, you know, protect their health and safety while they're there. So that was something that we started spotting. Um, we have a custom forecasting project and we started to yeah. um, pick up on that trend in some of those luxury resort areas. So that's a positive sign. I don't know if that's something that we expect to continue. I know that we're, we're projecting ADR to be down a little bit for luxury properties next year, just because mm -hmm. they haven't seen as much of that decline this year. So a bit of a delayed impact for them maybe next year. Can I ask, do you think it's um, people like vacationing or is it kind of like that work from home? People are very used to, you know, remote work that they can do it anywhere. And so they might as well pick, you know, somewhere with the extra amenities and the service provided, you know? I think it's probably a mix of both. You know, it's hard to say exactly, but yeah, I think you're probably seeing a mix of both. And just anecdotally, you know, I think probably all of us know somebody that may yeah. have gone to a hotel. You know, I'm, I'm based in Denver. Um, you know, I know people that went up to the mountains for a month and just yeah. stayed in a hotel and worked from the mountains because they could. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that too. I went to, went to Cancun. So I had a little bit of that experience, <laughs> but no, I, I totally get that. Um, any, any other short-term like trends that maybe you guys are seeing or that maybe isn't being talked about? Yeah, we're seeing some positive trends in terms of profitability. You know, it's still going to be a struggle over the next yeah. couple of years. Don't want to minimize that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But we are starting to see, um, you know, with our September P&L data, we saw that a few more markets are starting to have positive profitability, which again, what we talk about in terms of a good sign is very different in 2020 than any yeah. other time. <laughs> um, but markets where, and this has been true throughout the pandemic, markets where there's any sort of access to outdoor recreation are yeah. markets that are doing relatively better. So those markets where we were seeing positive profitability um, are markets like Miami and San Diego, where you have that beach access, or Denver and Phoenix, where you have access to some of those outdoor recreation areas, whether that's national parks, other, other areas that you can be outside. And then in terms of other positive signs that we've seen from that PNL data, um, something we saw at the beginning of the pandemic in April and May is the composition of labor costs changed. Mm. At the beginning of the pandemic, with all of the furloughs, layoffs, traditionally, you know, wages, salaries make up the majority of it and then benefits a smaller portion. And we saw that basically flip that ratio where because there were so many layoffs, so many furloughs, we saw that benefits were the majority of that labor cost. Um, wow. And in recent months, that's recovered to where it's now, it's not quite where it was before the pandemic, but it's certainly approaching a more 
normal ratio that we would expect. So although you know you can't minimize the furloughs and layoffs that have still happened and are still continuing to happen, it is a positive sign that enough companies are feeling that they can start to bring people back. They have the demand to bring people back. Mm-hmm. That's interesting too, because we've, and I don't know if this is something maybe you guys have seen or even can say is a, a factor, but um, the the use of automation tools and other you know software is kind of coming in to like step in where people have been laid off or furloughed. And um, maybe we were talking about a while ago, just the, the industry kind of shifting towards that way to and kind of in a sense replace what um, is missing is that human person doing these tasks that are you know repetitive and can be automated. Um, do you guys think that is um, something that's kind of playing a factor into anything right now, or is that even a data point that you guys calculate? I think it's too early to say for sure, especially long term. I yeah. think we. It'll be interesting to see over the next few years what the industry holds on to in terms of trying to be contactless and with yeah. that, you know, contactless check-in and all of that, where you can reduce your labor a little bit. It'll be interesting to see how much that continues, how much the consumer gets used to that and mm-hmm. just decides it's easier. You already saw people moving that way. I was someone that always did keyless entry, if I can skip the front desk and just get to my room, that's quicker, easier for me. Um, so especially if you're a loyalty member, you know, it's, it's just one of those things you're like, huh, perfect. I'm passing that whole line. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. And well, I think it's something like you said, we're going to probably have to continue to watch and just observe and, and, and you made a good point, you know, I think as a customer itself or the guest, um, is getting comfortable with this type of stuff and getting used to it. Just like all of us had to get used to working remotely. Um, you know, I think it's just one of those things with time, like you said, uh, that we'll, we'll continue to see and observe. Um, but I remember when you and I first talked, we had our little pre-chat and uh, we talked a little bit about like glamping and camping in national parks. So can you give us some insight about that? Because I'm really interested to hear because it's obvious to me, like we're doing a lot of drive to staycations or work from the mountains to, or closer to the beach type deal for a lot of people that are uh, remote. But, um, you know, I didn't take into consideration like the national park side of things or, or cabins or whatever. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I could talk about this for hours. It's a bit of a personal <laughs> passion of mine. Um, Yeah, it's some really interesting data that we've seen this summer. And I know that I said earlier that in 2020, good performance means, you know, single digit declines, but national parks are areas where we actually are seeing growth. So when you look at the actual data from the National National Park Service, um, parks like Joshua Tree, for instance, had a record breaking summer, um, which it's pretty remarkable when you remember that it's about a hundred degrees all summer there, (laughs) but people were just so desperate to not be in their apartments that, you know, the middle of the desert is preferable to that. And, you know, I personally understand that, but um, it was still surprising to see, you know, almost, I think before this, their 
highest visitation in a summer was around 30,000 people. So really not a lot. And this summer it was almost 60,000. So almost double this summer over their, their highest previous, um, or excuse me, almost 50,000, I think, but still. That's just for national park. Yes. So that's just the visitation, um, the visitation numbers. So with the hotel specifically, um, again, thinking about Joshua tree, I mean, that's an area where ADR has been growing since May there um, Mm. because they've just had the demand. And maybe that's something where, you know, people want to go to Joshua tree. Maybe they don't want to camp in a hundred degree weather. So maybe they are more willing to stay in a hotel. Whereas in other parks, you may see more of the focus on, on camping. You know, Yellowstone is a park that also broke records this summer. Um, they had highest ever September and October attendance, would have had the highest ever August attendance, except for the eclipse year oh. where Yellowstone was right in the path. So they had record-breaking performance then. So that's an area that's seen growth. Um, and to even see that growth continue into October where that's traditionally kind of a shoulder off season for them is really encouraging. And I think yeah. speaks to, it wasn't just people getting out anywhere they could. I think it was people to some extent seeking it out intentionally, you know, not just as a last resort. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, and you and I probably are in the same boat, but I think when 20, you know, the 2020 COVID lockdowns and all this stuff happened and people are starting to work remotely and all this is kind of like, I think a lot of people woke up and says like, I haven't gone to this. I haven't done this. Like they're looking at stuff that, well, we can't do this. We can't do that. So what can we do? And I, I think that's when the wheels start turning and it's like, oh, well, I never visit my backyard in the sense of like, I'm near Seattle. So I never think of like going to like Leavenworth or other stuff because it's right there all the time. But now we're having that mindset, I think shift a little bit, which is kind of cool. So for, for you to show that is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, Do you think, is there like any data on glamping? Like I know we're talking about national parks, but is that something that's kind of been trending and picking up as well? Yeah, that's not data that we have access to, unfortunately. And it's, it is difficult to assess the whole national park landscape because it is such a disparate lodging landscape where you have hotels, but they're mostly, you know, small mom and pop independents and you have private campgrounds and you have public campgrounds. And then you have companies like under canvas that are Mm. glamping companies. Mm. Um, So there are a lot of pieces and parts and then short-term rentals. There's a ton of Airbnbs all around Uh, Airbnbs, other companies all around those national parks. So it's hard to get a full handle on on what's going on. But I mean, all of the data that we've seen is that it's it's been a pretty positive summer. Um, Certainly depends which parks you're talking about. Some did Mm -hmm. better than others. Kind of depends on, I think, how easy it is to get to, how close it is to other ones. So for instance, that kind of triangle of South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana, those parks did really well because you can turn that into a pretty extended road trip and have a lot to do versus something like Acadia didn't do as well because it's Maine, a little hard to get up there, not very central to anything else. 
Yeah, that's true. And I forget how big of an umbrella that national parks or like camping has. Like you broke broken into all these different segments. I'm like, oh yeah, that's true. You know, there's such a sporadic, um, you know, like playing field of lodging styles. So it's I totally understand. Um, well, this and you is even have sorry, you even have oh, yeah. backcountry camping too. Yeah. And I just wanted to bring that up because there was an interesting trend that I started to spot in some of the park data where like in the Smoky Mountains, in again, Yellowstone, um, even though visitation was pretty high, what we also saw was a shift from developed campgrounds to backcountry camping. So that represented a greater share of overnight stays than what we've seen previously. And I think some of that is because some campgrounds were closed or reduced capacity or people just decided, you know, even camping's too close to someone else. I want to be, you know, as far away as possible. There's always the extremes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. Um, no, it's just super interesting. And I, it's like, I, I think a lot of us are, again, seeing like, we haven't done this in a long time. I haven't gone camping in years, but I did with all this stuff because it's like mm-hmm. well I can and at the end of the day it is social distance it's you know something that it's travel and a sense of adventure and all the excitement so I I think uh, that's pretty interesting to keep an eye on um, with as we're talking about um, you know the certain areas and you know the whole landscape of just camping in national parks and X, Y, and Z. Um, what have you guys seen when it comes to boutique hotels versus like a chain hotel and the performance of, of that? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, I find that independent hotels are hard to talk about as a monolith because you could have anything from that, you know, mom and pop economy hotel outside of a national park up to a luxury independent resort. Um, So if we break it down into collapsed classes, essentially, so economy, mid-scale, upper mid-scale, upscale, upper upscale, and luxury. If we break it down there, we've seen um, independence in terms of RevPAR typically outperform um, just because of the ADR premium um, compared to their branded counterparts. Um, And that's what we've seen kind of across the board since the pandemic and since we've started to see a little bit of recovery. Um, But in terms of occupancy, we've seen kind of a different trend where um, independents are outperforming full service properties in terms of occupancy, but they're underperforming branded, or excuse me, underperforming branded properties in the economy and mid-scale segment. Um, Which I think is interesting because it kind of goes in reverse of what we're seeing generally. You know, generally we're seeing um, those limited service properties doing better. Um, Economy properties are over half full. They're gonna end 2020 over 50% occupancy. Hmm. So to have independents underperforming there, but overperforming where branded properties are really struggling. I think that that's interesting. Yeah, the flip side of, of it because I, I want to know like for me as a revenue person I think of like profitability at the end of the day um, so it's interesting to see the occupancy higher in one area with the ADR lower when 
vice versa, the ADR higher with lower occupancy, what that looks like in real terms of profitability. And of course, like you say, and I super key to like, remember these numbers of profitability are probably not the numbers of profitability we saw in 2019. Um, so, but it's still profitability. It's just not the same numbers. So um, that is really interesting. Why do you think that is in the sense of just maybe traveler mindset or does COVID really like, are they able to push, you know, cleaning um, standards and marketing and other things out faster? What's, what is it? Yeah, I'm really not sure. Um, I do think about the areas that are doing better and we have classifications of location types and the location types that are doing relatively better are still interstate hotels and those small town hotels. Um, and with interstate hotels, you know, I think of mainly branded properties when I think of that segment of, you know, you've got, you still have a lot of trucking commerce. So that's, I think, certainly helping the interstate hotels. But for the most part, I always think of branded hotels when I think of that segment. So it could just be where those hotels are located. Um, I really couldn't say for sure, but it's an interesting trend and one that I'm curious to see as we get further into the recovery, if they sort of balance back out and get back to the dynamic that we've come to expect, or if this is something that's going to continue for the next couple of years. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool talking to you about this because I think I I forget, I think a lot of us even forget, including myself about like, like you just said, truckers, like, dang, I totally forgot a whole new segment of like traveler and, and everything that goes into it. So there's a lot that really does play into this role and this um, idea of, you know, travel and lodging. And there's just so much to pay attention to. Um, So I think it's really interesting, but I want to get into, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that it was, it was something that we started to pick up on at the beginning of the pandemic, because pretty much the bottom dropped out, you know? Yeah. So we wanted to focus on what was left. And so that's when we started to dive in and say, oh, this could be trucking demand because who else is traveling in April in particular where truly everything was shut down? Or, or can't, they can't work remotely either, so. Right, exactly. Yeah. And um, we saw a similar thing around airports. We're like, why is there still airport demand? No one's flying. And we started to ask around and um, someone heard anecdotally that just for maintenance reasons, people were staying, you know, pilots or other people were staying at the airports, still had to turn on the planes, move them back forth a couple feet just to, for maintenance reasons, make sure everything was good to go. So maybe those pilots were staying in the airport hotels for a couple of weeks. So it was interesting to see when there was no demand, trying to figure out okay, what is this small, weird pocket of positivity that we're seeing here? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And it brings me back to when, because in, in April, I got activated for the Army National Guard to do the test sites for Washington. And when we were traveling around the state, um, you know, we were staying in hotels. And it was interesting because um, you weren't, obviously, you weren't seeing like the leisure, transient type of, uh, you know, couple or traveler uh, guests, but you were seeing like, we met a bunch of um, like 
manufacturing company employees that were doing like they worked on like refrigerators for Walmart or AC units for XYZ hotel chains and Navy bases and like all these. So, so like the essential worker traveler. Um, and so that probably is what you guys were saying. I'm guessing with, with that, like, you know, the people that have to work on the stuff and keep maintenance up and do the stuff that, like you said, we can't, can't do it remotely. You can't do a, you can't change an AC unit with, with zoom. So. Yeah. Yeah. The best market in the, early days of the pandemic. And even now the best market of our top 25 markets was Norfolk because it still has that military demand that's mm. not going to go away. So it still had a little bit of base and they're, they're also one of the only places we're seeing group demand because some of those rooms are, are being purchased in a block. So True. that's been, again, one of the small pockets of positivity that we've seen. Yeah. What is, what are the, the top, you said something about top 25. Can you mm -hmm. jump in that for a little bit? Sure. Um, so our top 25 markets, think of, you know, your major urban areas, you know, New York, Boston, Chicago, all of those types of areas um, are included in our top 25. And that's where we've seen a lot of performance struggles this year, just mm -hmm. because most demand is not going to, um, most of that leisure demand is not going to an urban core by any means. And in particular, when you think about markets like Boston or Chicago that rely on a lot of convention business, especially Chicago, it was supposed to be a really strong convention year for them. They just had a good convention calendar for citywides and that's just not something that's gonna happen. So even when we think about where there are still temporary closures, um, a lot of those are in those urban cores, those top 25 markets. Um, so we have seen the share of demand and revenue shift away from those top 25 markets to markets outside of that. Gotcha. Interesting. Really interesting. Well, we also, um, I, well, I saw and thankful to you for sending this as well um, with the newest update for quarter three for the forecast. Um, so what does this really look like in the industry recover, uh, recovery and, um, you know, certain time frame? obviously we talk about short-term and long-term, but, um, I'm, I want to see what your thoughts are on just the whole quarter three updated forecast. Absolutely. So yeah, we just released our updated forecast a couple of weeks ago and it hasn't changed significantly over the past few months, kind of our vision for what we've been expecting. Um, even with this really positive vaccine news that we've had in the past couple of weeks, yeah. always with our forecast, we were kind of projecting some kind of advancements by quarter one of next year, whether that was a vaccine or just better treatments, better therapeutics. We were anticipating that there would be improvements in that, in that respect that would certainly help along demand going into 2021. So we're expecting demand, you know, it all depends on then the distribution of that vaccine. But as long as that goes fairly smoothly, we're expecting demand to pick up in quarter two, and then certainly even more towards the end of the year. And that's where we might start to see a little bit of group come back. I still don't think you're going to see those big, you know, citywide conventions. And yeah. Um, 
I mean, even going back to your point about booking window, I think that's important to keep in mind when you're talking about group travel, where some of those booking windows traditionally it's like five years out that you decide you're going to have a citywide. So that's something that, you know, who knows when we're going to see those come back, but mm -hmm. a postponed wedding, maybe that's something that you can, if you decide it's safe, three, four months ahead of time. So we may start to see those smaller meetings start to pick up towards the end of next year. When we look long-term, we're expecting demand to return to 2019 levels by 2023. Mm. And then RevPAR, we're not expecting to recover until after 2024. And the reason for that is just how hard it is to get ADR back and how hard it is to get that to recover. Mm -hmm. um, when we look back to the global financial crisis, um, I was, just, about, gonna, I was yeah. just gonna ask, like, is this a, something similar from 2008, mm -hmm. nine? Like, yeah, so we're just talking about such a different scale now where 2008, 2009, we lost about $10 in ADR. We're projecting ADR to be down $30 this year. So that's a, that's a lot more to get back. And certainly it all depends on how people are going to approach their strategies next year. But when you've got people fighting over demand, there's certainly a chance that you're not going to see a lot of ADR growth for the next couple of years. And that's, that's going to be pretty slow to recover. Um, so that's, those are generally our thoughts for what we're expecting over the next few years. Yeah. And I was also like, I was thinking this morning when I woke up and prepped for, for this recording was, um, I can't imagine how many things, do you guys play the what if game a lot? Like, what if this happens? What if this is going on? If this happens, like, there's probably 20,000 scenarios that you guys are playing with when it comes to data. And like, we just discovered through this podcast is that there's so many markets, there's so many segments of travel and guest and property type and you know, lodging accommodation in general, when it comes to like short-term vacation, boutique and camping and glamping and cabins and yeah, you name it. So you guys must be playing that game a lot, I'm assuming. Absolutely. I mean, certainly with our macro forecasts of the total industry, um, we partner with Tourism Economics, which is an Oxford economics company for all of their economic indicators and their broader tourism. You know, it's interesting. Usually the forecast is pretty closely tied to GDP and you can chart those growths very similarly. Um, but there's been a bit of a decoupling in 2020 and then with our 2021 forecast where the tourism industry has just been hit so much harder than even GDP has been hit that there was just a necessary uncoupling there of, we need to look at other factors beyond just the broader economy. Um, but we are expecting with the recovery that those are going to converge again and we're gonna see that relationship return. Um, but I think that's what's gonna mark the next couple of years. For sure. Well, I think it's, yeah, it's just, there's a lot going on and it's, I'm thankful for the work that you guys do at STR. It's, uh, it's, pretty much like what I rely on on a daily weekly basis. So thank you guys for doing that. But I want to know any final like thoughts or conclusions uh, for the Slick Talk audience out there 
Um, obviously, I'm going to take everything in the show notes. So obviously, like your guys' quarter three update, um, stuff like that. But just kind of curious if you have anything that you want to leave listeners on. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, we all know that it's a really hard time right now. It's, you know, we're either in a third wave or just a first wave that's never ended. A lot of places are eyeing lockdowns again. So it's a really hard time, but I think it's also, there are places where you can be excited and look forward. And something that I'm looking forward to is just the innovation over the next couple of years. And we already talked about that a little bit in terms of what's going to change on the operational side, but even with STR on the data side, where we've been able to get in deeper to the data or even change our approaches of, um, you know, before this, we always reported supply as how many rooms are available to sell on a given night. And then in April, when you see, okay, half the market closed, that's no longer, you know, the supply number is no longer as meaningful. Um, That's when we introduced the total room inventory methodology where we say, okay, occupancy may be 40% for those rooms that are open, but if we account for all those hotels that are closed, occupancy is actually looking more like 20%. Mm. So even that innovation of how are we going to look at data differently and, um, you know, from a revenue management perspective next year, how meaningful is it to you if you know that occupancy is up 300%? You know, those percent changes, I don't know how actionable a percent change will be in in that particular context. So we've started to think of, okay, we do a lot of indexing now to 2019 levels or what are some other ways that we can look at instead of just percent change? And this is something that we've played around with for a while because when you have natural disasters or you have other impacts to performance, that percent change data may not tell the whole story. So we've Mm -hmm. been working on that for a while of what's a more interesting look at what normal performance should be to then compare to. Um, So those types of innovations make me excited looking to the future. That makes me excited too, because I think of like my revenue management days. I'm like, oh yeah, we th- look back on the percentage of you know growth and increase and all these things. And we are like, well, this is because of that. That's because it's when we would take note on our own, you know, revenue charts and Excel sheets. But then to think of like if next, you know, 2021, we're like, oh, we're up 300%. Well, it's like, oh yeah, everybody's kind of up right now because, yeah. you know, <laughs> nobody traveled. So that makes total sense and that's really exciting from the geeky perspective of revenue management and profitability and you know all the stuff that we do um, in order to implement stuff into the operations it's it's exciting so thank you for sharing that and getting me pumped and all excited <laughs> for for that um awesome well i would like i said i'm going to include everything in the show notes you brought a lot of value to the audience uh this has been a fun episode you know like i said getting to go from reading star reports to uh, being with you on this podcast. It's really cool. And I'm excited to see what you guys continue to do. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. Perfect. Well, you heard it slick talkers. So I'll include everything in the show notes, go ahead and click the links, have fun, geek out on the data, geek out on the numbers. And if you have any questions, go ahead and reach out. 
Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, then you are amazing, and thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill-out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.